Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Um, I don't have a guest for you today because I wanted to share some of my thoughts that I've been a little hesitant to, to really share because, you know, hey, why do you guys care what I think about school murders, right? But apparently you do because I keep getting asked a lot of questions about responsible leadership and and how it would apply to some of these situations and and what my general thoughts are on the topic. So, you know, I, I will give you fair warning. Um, I don't care if you're liberal or conservative here. Uh, I'm probably going to have some points that you're going to agree with. And I'm probably going to have a lot of points that you disagree with, no matter which side of the argument you're on. Because I think a big piece of responsible leadership really is uh, trying to account for your biases when you're looking at a problem. And I've really, really tried to do that. Now, uh, you know, somebody who talks about unconscious bias training and and does a lot of unconscious bias training is very hard to do. So I'm sure that some of this stuff is still going to be filtered through my own lenses. But, you know, you all have asked for it. So here are my thoughts on school murders. And and that's where I'm going to start, right, is, is we need to really reframe how we look at these things. We keep using the term shooters, school shootings. These are murderers. These are school murders. Okay. Uh, but calling them shooting, we kind of lessen what they really are. And I know that's unintentional, but that's what happens. You know, the language we use really matters. We need to start referring to these, uh, these folks as murderers and calling them school murders. Um, and we also have to understand, you know, I reference Lieutenant Colonel uh, David Grossman on here a lot, and he talks about on killing. Uh, he talks about in his book on killing that the only way one human being can kill another human being, uh, besides some type of true mental break like a uh, sociopath, psychopath, things like that, is to stop seeing that person as a human being. And that's clearly what we've seen here with a lot of these. Uh, these murders, and they've come out and pretty much said as much that they don't ever refer to these as as classmates. They'll never refer to these as people. They have expletives. They have epithets. They have slurs. And that is a mechanism for stopping to see these people as people, which tells you how they're able to kind of commit these murders. Um, so let's talk about this whole situation here a little bit, right? Because one of the things that really gets under my skin in any of these situations, no matter what it is, is each side comes up with their own talking points that they want to dig into and they want to make it a simple one subject uh, topic. And it's not. There's a lot of facets to this, right? 
you know, the, the liberal side wants to come out and say, hey, we need to ban guns. Sure, whatever. Uh, you know, the, the conservative side wants to come out and say, hey, it's mental health, mental health. Sure, whatever. It's not any of those things, right? And I don't mean to just dismiss those as, as flippant, uh, but it's not just one of those things is my point. You can't dig your heels in on one or the other. We have to look at these things holistically. So let's first, let's talk about the gun law piece, okay? The truth of the matter is when you look at the gun laws in the United States right now, Every gun law that should have prevented a school murder is already on the books, okay? First of all, uh, we, we do a good job of, by the law, restricting, monitoring gun sales, okay? What happens in most cases is somebody didn't do their job correctly. So if you want to start talking about maybe uh, increasing penalties for not doing your job correctly, letting a gun sale slip through the cracks that results in a murder, yeah, we can have that conversation. But there aren't very many gun laws that don't exist already that we can write now that could prevent this. If you can think of one, I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. If you can think of the law and you can write the law that is going to keep this from happening, you have my full support. But writing a new law isn't going to do it. Well, Earl, what about banning assault rifles? Okay, first of all, we need to really kind of figure out what that term means because it, it's kind of a floating term. Uh, by the definition, assault rifle needs to have selectable modes, one of which is automatic. Okay, none of these weapons have that. None of these weapons are actually assault rifles. These are weapons that look like assault rifles. They, they look like the things that kids see in uh, video games. And I'm not necessarily blaming video games, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't not blame video games. Again, if you look at uh, Colonel Grossman's work, just the sheer act of normalizing shooting other people makes it easy to be able to pull the trigger and murder other people, right? And yes, I used the term shoot there because in a video game, yeah, they're, they're shooters. You're not really murdering anybody. You're shooting at an avatar on a screen, okay? But it does desensitize those mechanisms that keep humans from murdering other human beings. We have to just admit that. That's psychology. There's a lot of science. And again, Grossman in his book on killing, he unpacks that science. But there's a lot of science behind having soldiers, Marines, airmen shoot at targets that look more human, increase the number of deaths uh, during you know uh, the Korean and Vietnam War. And I'm not going to go into all the details. I really highly encourage you to pick up the book on killing. But... Going back to the point on guns, these things just look scary. They look cool. They look fancy. They're not an M16. They're not an M4. And and there's a reason why we don't issue those in the military, because they are not that capable, right? Um, if you are very highly trained with a weapon, maybe. Uh, there are some features on those weapons that do make them a little bit more uh, adaptable, that do make things like magazine changes a little quicker. But again, unless we're talking about like competition shooting or something like that, those changes aren't going to mean anything for the average person. 
right? It's like, if you're not a car person and you don't know how to race and you don't know how to drive an automatic, or excuse me, you don't know how to drive a stick, going out and buying a Lamborghini is not going to automatically make you some race legend, right? And, and that's kind of this thing here. It is just another rifle. At the end of the day, it's just another rifle and uh, a different looking package. That's really all we're talking about here. A lot of these are chambered in two, two, three rounds, which is, makes the bullet roughly the size of a 22 long rifle. Uh, but the cartridge packs a little bit more power, right? So that's the big distinction there. Now I'm putting a very fine point on that, but the point is, is a two, two, three round comes on a lot of different platforms, right? There's a lot of different types of rifles out there that are semi-automatic and all semi-automatic means for those that don't know is you can't pull the trigger down and hold it and it continuous fires. That's automatic. Semi-automatic, you pull the trigger, it fires. You pull the trigger, it fires. You pull the trigger, it fires. Uh, and then, you know, single action is you pull the trigger, it fires, and then there's something you have to do. There's a lever uh, that you have to pull there. You have to cock the hammer. Uh, you have to work a bolt, something like that. Semi-automatic semi weapons are fairly common, and many, many come in the same exact chambers of an AR-15 or another black rifle style, okay? So the point is, focusing just on these black rifles that look cool, look mean, look sexy, they're not, that's not going to fix the problem, right? That's like saying, hey, we're going to fix drunk driving by banning Corvettes. Corvettes aren't the problem right? Uh, people are just going to get in different cars and get drunk and kill people. And, and that's what I'm afraid is going to happen here if we stop focusing on the problem once we, let's just say we enact a ban on assault weapons. If we don't focus on the entire problem, that's not going to do anything but change the, the weapon used, right? Uh, they're going to use one of these other types of rifles. And then all of a sudden you're going to see very benign looking rifles that have the same basic capabilities as a black rifle uh, being used. And then what are we going to move to ban those? And then we ban those. And then we're going to realize that handguns by and large for close quarters uh, interactions, like what most school murders are, um, are just as man in some hands more capable of killing mass quantities of people than the rifles are, okay? So the point of that is, it's not that we shouldn't necessarily look at gun laws. Uh, I'm all for that. But that's not the problem. That's part of the problem. So once we realize that and we can start having a full-bore conversation about all of these issues, then we can really fix this. So what is the other piece? Well, let's talk about the mental health piece. These aren't mental health issues, and I'm not necessarily a mental health professional. I do a lot of reading on it. I do a lot of personal studying, but by no stretch am I a mental health professional. But these aren't traditional mental health issues that we're facing here. These aren't, in most instances, aren't somebody with uh, psychotic or sociopath-type behavior uh, that go out with the intention of just murdering people, right? These are most instances from what we've been able to put together based on the evidence that the general public has, these are kids who were heavily bullied in school and were essentially backed into a corner. 
Now, you can sit there and say, well, Earl, it sounds like you're kind of uh, trying to sympathize with the murderer here. You know what? Maybe in some ways, if you want to look at it that way, sure. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, is we are creating these murderers, right? These are kids who are going to school. They're getting bullied. Teachers aren't able, equipped, capable uh, to handle the situations. And I have many, many anecdotes that you can find on social media of parents talking about their kids becoming suicidal uh, because they're being bullied at school and they go to teachers and the teachers can't help. Or maybe they send them to an administrator and the administrator says they can't help. And they tell them things like, hey, look, you just need to work it out. Uh, this is high school. This is the way it is. You know, and, and we don't really associate that that parallel connection with the teenage suicide epidemic and school murder epidemic, right? They, they are one and the same. So there's this thing you've heard me talk about here quite a bit uh, called moral injuries, right? And what moral injuries do is when you have uh, some type of violation of a moral code, a deeply held religious belief, something like that, when that gets violated, uh, and if you were hooked up to brain scans, it lines up the same spots on the brain as, you know, getting a paper cut or breaking a bone or whatever. And just like any other type of injury, the more and more you have this inflicted upon you, the more intense the symptoms get. So what we would see if we go back and we look at these students is, you know, they start getting bullied and nothing happens. They get this moral injury mainly from uh, the act of being bullied, but more so from the fact that a teacher and administrator doesn't help them. Right. And so now they start feeling like they're all alone. And so things happen like they start becoming reclusive. Uh, they start performing uh, poorly in school. Their grades start to drop. Uh, they start pulling out of extracurricular activity. Uh, they start doing showing a lot of these signs that are very classic signs of escalations of moral injuries, right? In the corporate world, we see this as, uh, as employees starting to use sick days, as uh, starting to turn work late uh, in late, missing deadlines, uh, getting grouchy, uh, becoming somewhat combative with their coworkers, and these things just tend to escalate. The same things are happening to these students. There are signals that teachers and administrators can and should be looking for that, that this is coming, right? These murders don't just happen out of the blue. There's an escalation point of these kids being traumatized, being uh, left to fend for themselves and being told, hey, you need to figure it out. You need to find a solution. And then we get shocked when that solution is either suicide or mass murder, right? Because that's the ultimate end of, uh, of the moral injury spectrum is the person gets to a point of either suicidal ideation or uh, violence at work up to and including mass murders at work. The same mechanisms uh, in the workplace and the school environment, you know, they, they work the same, right? So there's a lot of science behind this, but we never stop to look at that piece. We never stop to think that the environments we're putting these kids in create these murderers. Now, again, I'm not trying to sympathize with the murderer. What they did is absolutely atrocious, but 
if we're going to really do a deep dive on the gun level, we really need to do a deep dive on this moral injury thing and better equip our teachers on how to identify and how to handle uh, those situations, right? Because if we can, if we can take care of that piece better, we can prevent these murders from happening because we don't put them in the environment where these moral injuries continue, uh, continue to build, continue to ramp up, go unabated. And these students get to a point where they feel like they only have one of two choices, either kill myself or kill classmates. And I guess there's the third option in some instances, kill classmates that have done this to me and kill myself. Because some of these times, uh, you know, we see that the the murder ends in uh, suicide from the murderer. Um, so we really have to do that, right? I mean, and this isn't a knock on teachers. This isn't a knock on administrators. We've kind of tied their hands in a lot of instances um, where there's not much that they can do, right? They, they maybe have tried to do something and maybe uh, the parent of the bully has yelled at them for calling their kid a bully. Maybe the parent of the person being bullied is, uh, you know, yelled at them for, you know, thinking that their kid is weak and can't handle themselves, whatever the case may be. I'm not knocking on educators and administrators here other than to say that we need to help them be able to handle these situations better. Um, and, and that's the type of complexity that we have to have here, because if we do column A, ban assault weapons, and we don't pay attention to column B, then literally all that we're going to do is if we ban assault weapons, we're going to change the weapon because we haven't fixed the situation, right? We will start to see these murders happen with different types of weapons, different types of guns. Um, and if we go even as far as some of these other countries, and, you know, yes, we can find all the data about other countries that have banned guns, and that's fine. Right. But these other countries also pay attention to these types of things, the moral injury types of things. Uh, you know, Canada gets used quite a bit. If you look at uh, the, the data that's available on Canadian school bullying versus American school bullying, while they do still have it, uh, the, the students rate it happen at a lower rate and they rate the, the teachers and administrators handling incidents of bullying at a much higher rate, right? So the point is, in Canada, uh, these things are being taken care of, right? Teachers, administrators are able to, you know, separate the students. They're able to do things to help improve that piece of the situation. So it's not just, hey, we banned guns, now we don't have school shootings. It's yes and, Right. It's yes and. And yes, I, I slipped and used shootings there and I meant to say school murders. I'm still trying to make sure that I use that term quite a bit. But the point is, we can't get really bogged down in one side solutions. We need to start looking at this as yes and. Yes, maybe there are more things that we can do with gun laws. I don't know what those are. Um, I've looked at them. Everything is is there, in my opinion, up to and including murder is punishable by death in most states or life in prison in others. So murder is illegal. No matter how you look at it, murder is illegal. 
that's the law that should prevent all this because, hey, if you murder somebody, you're going to face life in prison or, or death sentence. Uh, so we have the laws, but I'm not opposed to looking at the laws. Tell me what the law is. Let's talk about it, the merits of it. And sure, if we can find one, let's make it happen. And let's look at better equipping our educators to be able to handle bullying effectively and give them the tools necessary, the training necessary to be able to identify these escalations of moral injuries, to be able to identify when students are being pushed to the point of, you know, hey, this is how little Johnny or little Susie is starting to act. This is on that moral injury spectrum. I feel that they're getting to the point of suicidal ideation or murder or possibly both and being able to take action, right? That, that's what, you know, some folks talk about these red flag laws. And, and I think in concept, those aren't terrible ideas, but we need to flesh them out and, and really, really make those a viable option. You know, it can't be as simple as, hey, I think Johnny's uh, acting weird. Uh, we're going to go confiscate his guns and all of his parents' guns. There has to be something behind that, right? So we don't get people using it as a, as a weapon itself against other people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the other thing I want to touch on real quick here is, you know, teachers, again, get a lot of flack for this. And um, I, I really don't want to be throwing um, teachers under the bus anymore than what I may have come across already have. Hopefully that's not the way it came across, but I know these things are sensitive. Um, but I want to talk about this arming teachers thing for a second, right? Because I think that is just a craziness that's come out. No, we shouldn't be arming teachers. Uh, having a weapon, being asked to use a weapon in response to that type of situation takes a very highly specialized type of training. And not every teacher has the mental capacity, and I don't mean that like smarts, I mean that as like the mental health capacity to do that, uh, or the wherewithal to be able to be trusted with a weapon. So no, we should not be arming teachers. Uh, I, I can hear people asking, well, what do you think about that? Now, what I'm not opposed to, and I think is something that maybe we should explore while we're fixing this, is a almost air marshal type program for schools. Uh, where we have highly trained officers embedded in schools as janitors, as librarians, as administrative staff, and maybe in some instances, if they have the necessary credentials, as educators. Uh, nobody will know who they are besides maybe the principal, but probably maybe a superintendent will know who they are at the schools. Students will never know, and you know, ideally, they will never know who that person is. But when these shooter situations uh, start and they turn in uh, are on the track to turning into murder situations, this individual has the capabilities, the training necessary to be right there and respond. Uh, these would be probably federal officers, um, maybe state officers, but uh, th they would be officers. They wouldn't be quote, just educators, just janitors, just librarians, just custodians. They would actually be trained officers. I think that is something that's worth exploring while we work on all of these other pieces together. Again, that's my point of view. Some of you may differ. Uh, but if you made it this far, 
Thank you for listening to my rambling on this topic. I really felt like I needed to get that out based on the number of questions I get asked. It's a very complex situation. I understand some of you may hate everything I just said. Some of you may love everything I just said, and some of you may be split. What I want is us to start having these conversations as adults, as responsible leaders, talking about the different solutions. So no matter how you felt about this, please leave me some comments. Whether you're responding to this on a social media post, whether you're on my website kind of responding to it, uh, please, let's have this conversation. I just say let's keep it civil and let's find the solutions. You know, this, this again, this isn't just a school situation. This bleeds over into the corporate world because the bullies who are creating these murderers are the same bullies that are in your organizations right now that can create people uh, checking out and creating workplace violence in your organization right now. Uh, the same people who are victimized uh, in as being bullied are the same people who are being bullied in your organizations right now. These behaviors are learned at the early levels, so there is a responsibility of the corporate level to help take care of this at the school level so these things don't bleed over into your organizations. But let's start having these conversations. Let's start having these conversations uh, in a meaningful, civil manner, and let's find a solution. These are complex problems. They require all of us thinking together to find the right solution to these complex problems. So there you go. A lot of you have asked, and there it is, my thoughts on the school murder situation and how and what we should be looking at in order to actually make an impact. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid.